Now, um, about a year ago, um, James came up to me and asked me to pray. Now, I need to clarify, because in the nine o'clock service, people were very anxious about which James this was. It wasn't James Green, and it wasn't James McSporran. So, so for all of the, you who would go, oh, I wonder what, which James it is, it's not those two, anyway. You can work out the, who, the, every, every other James you know, it might be them. Anyway, he came to me to pray. Now, I prayed with James uh, quite a bit, as he'd got a medical condition, because uh, he suffers uh, from regular mini-strokes. He sometimes has two or three mini-strokes uh, a day. And so this condition makes his life really hard, so I was expecting to do my normal kind of praying with him and just pray for God's uh, comfort and help as he faced uh, this uh, condition. But this time it was different because James was upset and he's never normally upset. He's a very bright person. And he was upset because his dog Echo was very poorly and his dog was at uh, the vet's. Now, you need to know that Echo is a really important dog. Echo is a ser service dog. He has to wear a special sort of coat which says service dog uh, on him, and that means he can enter into any premises in Edinburgh. So James is, uh, enjoys taking him into these places where dogs would never normally be allowed. And Echo has this really great skill that he can detect when James is going to have uh, a mini stroke, and when it, James is about to have a stroke, Echo can sense it somehow, and he'll tug on his uh, uh, trousers and say to James, actually, mate, you need to sit down because you're going to have a turn. And this means that James can be safe whilst he's having these strokes, and he doesn't fall over and, and have a fall and everything like this. So you can imagine Echo is a very important person, dog to James. When he speaks to you, he is like a person, but a very important uh, dog. So he asked me to pray for his dog. Now, I'd never prayed for a dog uh, before. I didn't even know if it's appropriate uh, to pray uh, for dogs. But I knew this was sort of an important uh, kind of prayer. So I prayed, Lord Jesus, as, as James and I were standing together, I just said, we lift Echo to you and we pray for Echo's complete healing. Amen. And James said thanks, and he had to run off because he wanted to be with Echo uh, at the vets. So when I next uh, saw James, I asked him how Echo was, and he told me, that was very sad, Richard, but Echo died. And I thought, oh, I thought, great. And it reminded me of how poor I am at praying. My standard of praying was completely... <laughs> Dreadful. It reminds me. It reminds me of uh, when I ha I used to play uh, football many years ago for a football team, theological college uh, football team. If you're going to play football, play for a theological football team, because you play against the undergraduates at the university or colleges connected to. And normally, on your football team are all the bad ones who've had huge conversion experiences and they're built like brick outhouses. And um, anyway, just just some advice. Anyway, so but before the game, we prayed and everything like that. So we, we were praying, and, um, and I, it, it was fallen to me to pray. Uh, and I said, Lord, just, we just pray for a great game, a fair game. L Lord, we pray for an injury-free game, and it would just be a great fun and everything like that. So we were covered in prayer, and we went out to pray. And during the warm-up, somebody was knocked out, and another person broke their leg. And an ambulance was called. And needless to say, I felt like a complete and utter fool. And all these foolish feelings returned when I was thinking of James and when he told me Echo had died. But James went on. There was more. He said, uh, 
though, about the time I prayed, the vet thought, no, I'm going to give it one more go, and I'm going to try and resuscitate Echo for this one last time. And he goes, and James told me, and the vet went mouth to mouth with Echo. <laughs> so anyway, I'm not sure if I should have included that, but... Uh, and after a really determined effort and all the massaging and everything, the amazing thing was Echo came back to life again. He sprung back to life again. And within minutes, he was his complete uh, normal self. And James just said, it is a complete miracle. He said, your prayer helped Echo come back to life. So all those feelings about football prayer went very quickly. And you'll be pleased to know Echo is still going strong and he's still doing all the service stuff he has to do in keeping uh, James safe. It was a miracle. A miraculous is what lies at the heart of our reading today in Acts chapter 3. Simply put, a man who couldn't walk and was a beggar after prayer could walk. But whilst this miracle is wonderful, this isn't the key thing going on in the reading. The miracle gets us to sit up and take notice, but the underlying thing running through this reading, the thing which made this miracle happen, is prayer. The miracle is as a result of prayer. Or more exactly, it's about how a life fueled by prayer can deepen our faith so much that miracles become part of our reality. Prayer enables the power and the wisdom and the love and the grace of God to become present in amazing ways. And those of you who are part of our P's and G's uh, morning services at the moment will know that we recognise as a church we need to develop our culture of prayer. So since Christmas, we've had an excellent uh, sermon, series of sermons on prayer to help us understand how a culture of prayer can be really part of who we are as a community. And this miracle we have this morning is as a result of an immense culture of prayer that the early disciples have developed. You just need to see how the early church operated in the few verses just before our passage this morning. So if you've got your apps open and your Bibles open, if you just switch to Acts chapter 2 verse 42, you'll see that the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The miracle was a result of a community's commitment to prayer and of them putting prayer right at the centre of what they were doing. Right in the first instance of the early church, at the very beginning, prayer was placed at the centre. So our desire to create a culture of prayer gets us right back to that early church. It unites us, if you like, with Peter and John, the stars of our reading this morning. It gets to the very heart of what it means to be a community following Jesus and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. A church which can't define itself by prayer, I'm sad to say, is a failing church. It's what the church is and what the church does prayer. Prayer informs, inspires and unite us. But knowing all this doesn't make prayer any easier. It doesn't make us any better at prayer, but it does become a measuring rod, an encouragement uh, to place it right at the heart of what we're doing and to keep each other going when it comes to prayer. A passion for prayer means a passion for Jesus. 
I was very struck uh, by Shane Claiborne, who we I was delighted was able to visit P's and G's uh, this week as part of a tour he was doing on Tuesday and we had a really inspirational evening uh, and those of you who were there will know that and those of you who weren't there you missed out, it was great. But he said something in, in the evening which sort of really uh, made me sit up and take notice. He said, our faith is less of a theory but more of a romance. Our faith is less of a theory but more of a romance. Now, the word romance, romance might jar a little bit. Maybe you might find it helpful just let's not use the word romance, but instead use the word friendship or relationship. But the idea which Shane is trying to offer is important because to have a good relationship, to have a good friendship, to have a good romance, you have to work hard uh, at it and work out how to keep it going, to stay in love, to build that friendship, and the way we fuel this with God is through prayer. And when we shift prayer into everything and invest into it emotionally, mentally, and physically, we allow ourselves to be used by God in the most profound, interesting, incredible, life-changing, inspiring, and miraculous of ways. This is always born out of relationship with God and so this sermon series has been pushing hard to, for us to invest in this life-changing and life-giving relationship. To neglect it is to miss out. To invest in it is to be transformed. Even when words of prayer are not possible and life seems to be dragging us away from God, just to have a tiny speck of prayer in us is often enough to keep us going. This is, was the life of prayer which Peter and John had brought into as they headed off to the temple to pray. They had a pattern going on in their lives. In the very first sermon a couple of months ago, I said, let's get a pattern of prayer. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer seven minutes a day. I don't know if you kept that up or you've developed a new pattern of prayer, but they had a pattern of prayer. They had a habit of prayer and they were living in this place and allowing prayer to shape and form them. So they prayed on their own, they prayed with their fellow disciples, and they prayed in public worship in the temple. They prayed to work life out and be the people they were meant to be. They prayed so they could be encouraged. They pray, prayed so they could have uh, a life uh, balanced out. It's good to ask ourselves a question as we're sat here this morning. What is the balance of prayer looking like for us, for you, for me? Are we leaving prayer for others or are we working it out? How is the heartbeat of prayer apparent in our lives? Anyway, in our readings in verse 1 and 2, we see that Peter and John were in a beautiful part of the temple and they encountered this beggar person and he couldn't walk and this beggar was doing his job which is quite simply asking for money. And so the beggar was after a few pence. He probably wanted another Starbucks coffee or something. And he just did his normal thing by holding out his hand. And he asked for help to those passing by. And Peter and John passed by. And he asked them for help. Now, those of us who live in Edinburgh or come into the city centre uh, regularly will know this begging is a normal kind of thing. Uh, regular life is what's going on in this passage. This is a normal part of life. And in, any, in Edinburgh, I think, any beggar will sense, with sense will sit 
outside a church because that's the place, isn't it? You sit outside a church because any beggar who's thought about it will know there's a conflict which will be going on in each one of us um, about whether or not I should give to this uh, person or not. It's never easy to know what to do, is it, when you're confronted in this situation. just want to give some simple advice really here so when we do have these encounters, and we all will, we, we can sort of think more deeply about how we can deal uh, with it because Peter and John had to deal with it. First thing I want to say is if you've got time, and I hope you're not just rushing through your life saying I've got to do this and got to do, do that, but I do hope you've got time. But I hope if you've got time, you might sometimes stop and take time to speak with people who are asking for money. Maybe you can get, take time to get to know the person. You might know a particular person who sits somewhere and asks for money day by day. You can, you can just get to know them, ask, to, to ask them how they are, try and make friends with them. You could offer to buy them uh, food or coffee uh, if you can. You might want to give them money. I don't normally recommend it, but it might be God is convicting you to give them money. Never just because somebody says, oh, no, give to charity. Don't, don't let that stop you. If God is moving you to do something, always be generous. I think that's the best uh, thing we can be known by our generosity. But always humanize the situation. This is a person in front of you. Have that eye-to-eye contact, which we see in the Bible reading. If you've got time, sit down with them, share with them, but always be sensitive to them. Open your eyes to what's going on. And I really suggest you do this. Jenny and I were having uh, a speaking to a young woman last week who was begging, um, and she, we had to be very sensitive to the situation as we were just talking to her, and it became apparent that this woman didn't want to talk. She just needed to get as much money as possible and she was encouraging us just by her body language to move on quickly and we're very sure there was some gang member or gang leader or somebody who might have trafficked her sort of standing somewhere keeping watch on her to making sure she was keeping her till running over. When you engage in this type of stuff you realise we're part of an evil and unfair world and it becomes fuel for our prayers. Lord, how can we deal with this? It becomes fuel for researching and working it out because I'm sure there's some really bad things happening, which is why a lot of our people who are beggars in Edinburgh are on the streets. And the one thing I know about this situation is it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. We can all see the news. We can all see what the governments are trying to do in Europe and stopping people coming in. And we all know that policy is going to be doomed to failure. It's part of the realities of modern life. And part of our responsibilities as being city dwellers is to work it out and maybe fight that injustice. But that's another sermon. Peter and John, though, are demonstrating a very good way here of engaging. And one I recommend. They dealt with him, as I've already said, as a human person, and they looked eye to eye. There was a relationship going on, and they looked deep into the, that man's eyes, and they had compassion. Compassion and love are the fruit of praying Christians. I can tell somebody's a Christian uh, when they show compassion and love. I can tell their praying person when they show uh, that. The fruit of prayer will always be compassion. It's as if when we engage in prayer, we are given a piece of Jesus' heart, and that gives us the boldness and the compassion to reach out. And so full of love and compassion and faith and hope, Peter and John reached out 
and they prayed this very famous prayer. They just went, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. So they simply said a prayer. that It was more of like a declaration, but it was a prayer. Peter and John had no money. They had no practical way they could help this man. They had no power or influence. All they had was a relationship with Jesus and a rich, vibrant prayer life which gave them energy and life and a faith which dared them to utter that prayer. One of the most common things I see in myself uh, when I'm confronted uh, with saying a prayer like this is fear. Somebody, often very vulnerably, has asked me to pray for them and about an impossible issue. It happens fairly regularly. Please pray for me about this completely impossible issue, they say to me. It could be they need healing. They've got cancer. They need healing. Or they've lost somebody very special to them and they're completely uh, ripped apart by grief. It could be that a relationship they're in has been destroyed and they want it reformed. Or emotionally, they're quite simply in a dark place. And uh, quite rightly, all they see that's left for them is a miracle and an engagement of God in their lives. And in those moments, I feel scared. I do not feel good enough to pray with that person. I'm not sure if my theology is up for a prayer like that. I don't uh, want to let them down. I'm not sure if I have a strong enough faith. I worry, am I doing the right thing? I worry, am I building up this person's hopes in an unrealistic way for a miracle for them? So fear dominates me. So much power is lost to the church because of fear. We are scared sometimes of entering into that extraordinary deep place of faith. We are scared to enter into a place uh, where Jesus exists because what happens if he's not there? We're concerned that God doesn't do the same kinds of miracles today as he did back then. I love Steve Clifford's uh, sermon last week, the, the man from Evangelical Alliance who came to speak to us, and he quite simply said in the middle of his sermon, courage is fear which has said its prayers. Courage is fear which has said its prayers. That is such a true and profound statement. And I suppose as we build a culture of prayer, one of the things which will be vital uh, for us as a community right here in the centre of Edinburgh is to pray those big, bold, brassy and courageous prayers like Peter and John prayed. Prayers which show Jesus we are really wanting him to move with transformation in Edinburgh and in individuals' lives. It might be every brave prayer we say doesn't produce a miracle every time. But as we pray those prayers, our hope, our trust, our expectation of what Jesus can do and does do increases. And we gain a glimpse of heaven and we move closer to those heavenly values and life gets more vibrant. So fear can grip us in prayers like this. But also, sometimes, particularly I'm speaking to middle-class people who are used to running things, what will happen is we see a situation and instead of praying about it, we try and take control of the situation. And what should be a prayer becomes we try and make a solution for the problems which we see in front of us 
all by ourselves. It's like we trust too much in our own resources or own abilities rather than let God join in the situation. I love this story from the 13th century. It's about Thomas Aquinas, great theologian of the church, and he once uh, called on Pope Innocent II. And uh, what happened is he walked into the room and the Pope was there counting out a very large sum of money. And the Pope remarked, you see, Thomas, the church can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. And Aquinas replied, true, Holy Father, but neither can she say, rise up and walk. There's a fine balance to play here. God has given us brains and resources, and he wants us to use them. However, he's also given us relationship with him, and he wants us to use that. In other words, a culture of prayer says we don't try and decide on a solution before we've engaged in prayer. Once had a very uh, challenging curate um, who, when he saw me uh, in my own strength try and sort out someone's life, uh, told me some very important things, whispered into my ear some very important things in this situation. He just went, rich, silver and gold have I none. But what I have, I give to you. Don't forget to pray, Rich, he said. That was a real learning point for me as I thought I had the solution. And it brought me to my knees. Prayer is what inspires us first. And then out of prayer, we move for a solution. And this is what Peter and John were entering into. They were giving this problem to God first. That's the sign of maturity. That's the sign of an alive church community. That's a place where God decides to exist, declaring his transformational love. It's a place where we walk, we jump, and we praise God. The place of miracles starts with prayer. And notice for Peter and John, this prayer is all about Jesus. It's not them who's going to change the world. For them, it's only one person who can do that, and that person is Jesus. They prayed in Jesus' name because they knew that was where the power of God existed. And in doing this, they started a culture. And now every prayer worth its salt is prayed in the name of Jesus. Quite simply, it's because of Jesus they could pray like this. They had a culture of prayer which put Jesus right at the center. And as we build our culture of prayer, that's what we're declaring. We're saying we want Jesus to be at the center of everything. So when Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ, he was declaring that Jesus is the one here with authority. Ashif Fernando, in his book about Acts, uh, says back in Peter and John's time, the thinking was that a name exposes the very nature of a person. Hence, the power of a person is present and available in the name of the person. The power of a person is present and available in the name of the person. So in calling on Jesus and asking him, Peter was simply saying to Jesus, we want your power and presence here to help us with this person. Now today is uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, we're one week off the, remembering the greatest day in history when Jesus is alive, he's not dead, and that we can declare we are Easter people and we can say hallelujah is our song. You know, it's completely amazing and I've just sinned saying hallelujah in Lent anyway. Um, but that's only if you're high church, we're okay. And today, really, 
Palm Sunday is about celebrating Jesus as King. Into our worship, we welcome him as King. He is here today, and we say he is King. Just as the people welcomed him all those years ago by waving those palm branches and chucking their coats on the ground to welcome him and declare he is King, King of Jerusalem and King of Israel. And it's because Jesus is now King of Heaven we are so welcome to approach him and ask him to come into every situation and ask for his power and ask for his solution. It's gripping stuff. It's the wonder of Christianity. The power of Jesus' name and the power of Jesus can be called on every time. Next week, we'll be in Easter awe and wonder of his death, defeating power. But this week, we welcome him as king who can break into broken, wounded and sinful lives and transform them. It's that Jesus who breaks into the beggar's life because of Peter and John's care and concern. And when that happens, transformation is the word. And the transformation, we see in verse 9, is there for all to see. From lying down and begging, he is walking and jumping and praising God. The power of Jesus has entered his life, and he was completely joyful about it. And this was all because Peter and John took the time to stop and to pray. They, react, they, they reacted and had the patience in that moment. And because of that, the power of Jesus entered into a desperate and sad life. They didn't let their self-importance or their business or their agenda get in the way. They were able to stop and pray and let the miracle happen. They were able to line up with the kingdom's agenda rather than do it all on their own. And the fruit of this was a transformed life. A culture of prayer created a renewed and empowered life. Healing was the result. And right at the heart of our faith is this wonderful idea that prayer changes things. It changes us. It changes you. It changes me. It aligns us to the kingdom. It allows us to experience the deepest grace and goodness of Jesus. And it renews us and enables us to be the people God is wanting us to be. He's calling us. He's whispering into all of our ears this morning saying, be this person. This is why week in, week out, we offer prayer ministry here in church. Because we believe trans God transforms. And we want that transformation right at the heart of what we're about as a community. Some of us need to be courageous in seeking prayer out so we can risk going to those deep places of having our lives sorted out by Jesus. He does care about you and he does want to transform you. But finally and significantly, having a culture of prayer for Peter and John enabled all the people too who were in the temple courts to be filled with wonder and awe because of what God was doing. Their prayers put Jesus centre stage again. He was no longer dead Jesus, but alive and well, and his power and presence were released in those courageous prayers that Peter and John dared to utter. Prayer brings God down to our level and enables us to experience him. And when that happens, that will release joy. Prayer enables those who don't need, know Jesus to see his power at work, and it enables them to engage in the joy of uh, knowing God. Prayer enables people to enter into God's presence and to experience him. So prayer is God's deepest and most profound gift to us. It's that mysterious place where God simply is. It seems strange to neglect it when there's so much joy, wonder, comfort, challenge, wisdom and grace found within it. When we enter into uh, it, 
Things change, they develop, they renew. Coincidences happen, things are revived. It's a gift Jesus offers us so we can get to know him better. It's a wisdom which becomes part of us and helps us to do things in the right way. It's a thought given to us to protect and comfort us when times are really tough. It's a promise we can live in which gives us all we need to live this gift of life day in, day out. It's a silent thought which dares us to reach out to God. Peter and John lived in it and they offer it to us this morning as, as we work out how we can live in a culture of prayer. So let's just be quiet for a moment and let's come to God in that prayer. I don't know if you're weak or strong in the area of prayer, but this is a space where in our imaginations, in our hearts, we can just engage with God. Let's just sit quietly and just say, Lord, I'm here. And just share with him what's going on. Be quiet, listen to his voice.